they're not playing, you know, against uh, uh, Jim Class Harry or whatever. You know what I mean? These, this, this is uh, <laughs> these are the Western Mustangs. You know what I mean? This is the best that the OUA has to offer. <laughs> Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Me and Nate are back recording the day after the Western Mustangs have been crowned the 113th Gates Cup champion. Nate, you know, you had the most, you had the most sort of, you know, stakes in this game. Your Queens Gales in their first Gates Cup since 2013 when they also went down to the same Western Mustangs. Let's get your thoughts off the top. You know, how did it feel watching this one? I know there's a lot of talk, and we'll get into it about was this uh, indicative of how this East-West split, you know, kind of was set up this year? Was this kind of just doomed, or is this kind of you know gonna happen from the get-go? What were your thoughts watching this game? What are you taking away just as your sort of initial thoughts on this? I mean, do we have to talk about it? Uh, can we like talk about uh, you know, Dune or like James Bond or something? <laughs> Is there anything else going on we could talk about? No, nah, it wasn't. It wasn't that bad, guys. It wasn't that bad. Um, I really enjoyed watching the game, regardless of the outcome. I actually realized uh, quite early that I was maybe more nervous watching sort of the beginning of that game than I was like even playing during my career at all. So it was really. Uh, Thrilling experience, you know, watching watching the guys get after it. Obviously not the result that I was hoping for, but um we'll get in it. We'll get in, we'll get into it. We'll get into it, I guess sort of what happened uh yeah, as we go forward here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we'll get into all those details. Um, you know, from the jump, kind of like a few outcomes that we saw this year. I don't think the final score is truly as indicative of how competitive these or how how evenly matched these two teams were and and you know I, I thought like give us another pat on the back I thought we did a good job setting up the the game and the matchup based on the positional groups and you know like what Western was the better team on the day like that's that that was you know that that was fairly evident but you know good fight by Queens obviously when uh, you know the one team pitches a shutout hard to hard to look past the the possibility that it was a little one side but we'll get into all those details um so we'll start off with a little a uh, little hardware as, as we like to do off the jump uh start with our offensive player of the game pick uh this one I I don't think uh you know we obviously talked about it before starting to record there's really any other way to go about it um Nate do you want to hand out our our pick for offensive player of the game for this one uh, I mean, it's obviously it's got to be Keon Edwards, you know, maybe, uh, you know, him and that Western O-line, they weren't too happy to see the news that Trey Ford was named the OUA MVP. So I don't know how much motivation that played into it. I know Western hates Queens, but I feel like that was probably sitting in the back of their head. Um, you know, 21 carries, 158 yards, uh, three touchdowns on the day. Those all came in the first half, uh, really just you know, your classic Western football game day, you know, whatever you want to call it a uh, really impressive performance by that group. Yeah. I, I mean, if there's one thing that we may have expected, I mean, we, we both gave uh, Queens defense a lot of praise and I think deservedly. So regardless of what you want to say about some of the competition they played this year, um, 
obviously, you know, guys like Anthony Federico and, and Bedard and, and, and a lot of guys on that when you look at them as singular talents, some of the top players in this league. But if there was definitely, you know, an area of advantage for Western, it was going to be in the run game. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about maybe was Rashid as the singular talent more uh, outstanding than Edwards. And you can still debate that one because, I mean, when you look at the All-Stars, they're both first team running backs. So I don't know if it's like the person list higher on the list is the the sort of 1A to the 1B. I don't know if that's how we're supposed to read into that, but you know, clearly they were the top two rushers in the league. But then when you add in the fact there's Trey Humes, Edward Renati, the rushing attack for Western with those big hoggies up front, which once again, you don't have to scroll very long through the all-star list to see just a slew of Western Mustangs, as per usual, uh, leading the charge on first team, second team OUA all-stars at the offensive line position. So, uh, yeah, big day by by Edwards on the biggest stage thus far, uh, of course, because they will be proceeding um, defensively. Uh, I'll start us off with this. I, I don't know if we're split on this one, but, you know, it, you know we'll have to kind of go a, a bit of a cop out here, but not really, because once again, when you pitch a shutout in your conference championship game, uh, and when your defense doesn't actually spend that much time on the field to let any singular player accumulate stats, this one goes out to the Western defense, um, particularly maybe the, the the secondary, because you know Western wasn't really bringing that much pressure against Keenan, but there were times out there where you know shout out to the Queens offensive line unit, they were doing a good job giving Keenan time, but I mean. Once it's once it gets to five, six, seven seconds, I mean it. Aside from the fact you have guys like you know Deontay Knight and and Terrio on that D line rushing the QB, but really you give any D line that kind of time to get to the quarterback, they will. And Keenan did his thing, scrambling out, doing his you know you know madman routine, picking up yards when he had to. But I think you know, you got to shout out the defense, and particularly it seemed like that secondary just blanketed that. Uh, that receiving core for Queens, and, and I know we'll get into this in a little bit, or maybe you want to talk about it now. Not a fully healthy receiving core for Queens, which definitely played a role in this one. But I'll, I'll pass the floor to you talking about what did you have a standout player in particular, or are you just in line on that one as well? What are your thoughts for a defensive player? No, I think we're on agreement here, and I kind of felt that watching the game as well as kind of. You know, it wasn't really one guy. It was guys making plays all over the field. Obviously, um, you had Knight with sort of the the sack fumble recovery early at Kojo Doom with a pick. Um, you know, a couple forced fumbled by by some other players. Uh, really, it was, you know, not to be cliche, but it truly was a, a team effort, as you described. Well, moving over to special teams, I do think we have a few individual picks here. I'll let you shout out, uh, firstly, the the individual you want to acknowledge here. Yeah, I mean, we got to give Queen some love, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, they were they played the game too. So, uh, you know, I got to shout out uh, Nolan Bedard, um, returning punts on the day for the Gales. Obviously, he had the long one of 85 yards in total, three returns for 108, but obviously that 85-yard one standing out and, you know – Maybe uh, needs to run just a couple more laps in the offseason so he can finish it off next time. Uh, but, you know, still a still outstanding game for him in that department. 
Yeah, and obviously on top of what he was doing defensively for them, um, you know, you can only imagine if he was just a uh, if his if his sole responsibility was returning, maybe that would have given him the edge there. But for me, I'm giving it to the guy who was able to knock him out of bounds on that none other than number 77, Brian Garrity. I mean, you know, whether if if Nolan houses that one, is there enough time to to come back? I mean, it's Canadian football, so you know it, it seems like anything is, is really possible. Um, uh, but then also, you know, it's we kind of played this card when we gave Garrity Special Teams Player of the Week in the uh, OUA West final last week, where. You know, he did outscore the opponent uh, a little more impressive when in the case of Guelph, they did put up some points on offense or I guess in Guelph's case, their special teams unit put up points because if I'm recalling correctly, I don't think Guelph got into the end zone with their offense. But nonetheless, uh, mostly for making that touchdown saving tackle, which, you know, kickers around the world all whether they're watching the game or not, I'm sure, you know, somewhere Pat McAfee was just like, oh, something something's right in the universe right now, something I don't know what just happened, but something feels good. You know, that was a to 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 quote the McAfeeism. That was great for their brand. Um, and you know, of course, you know, the couple field goals is outscoring uh, the 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 goose egg put up by the Queens team on that front. So those are the hardware, a little hardware we're handing out for the Yates Cup. Let's now get into a bit of the uh, the, the the tofu and potatoes, if I may, um, on this one. Let's start at the quarterback position here. That's where we started in our breakdown of the games. And one of the factors that just off the jump that is obviously going to be uh, play a role in any Canadian game played at this time of the year is the weather. Don't think you could have picked a pretty—I don't think there's arguably a better day you could have played in uh, in late November as far as the weather was concerned. Seemed like pretty solid conditions. Uh, Evan Hillock for the Western Mustangs, who is now officially Mr. Roy, Mr. Rookie of the Year. If you saw the awards come out earlier in the week, we'll go over those in a bit more detail later. Finishing on the day, 193 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. James Keenan, 111 yards passing, zero touchdowns, one interception, and uh, add-on eight rushes, 36 yards for him on the ground. You know, both in their first Yates Cup appearance, you know, what I really liked from Hillock, those two interceptions, I, I want to pass the floor to you, obviously, as our resident quarterback. The, the first one, hard to tell what happened on there where he overthrew Ellerman and it landed just nice and softly into the hands of her, get which, the, which DB picked it off. Um, hard to really tell if there was maybe a miscommunication on that one. I'm, I'm not putting that one fully on Hillock. Don't really know what happened. Second one, you had Hillock rolling to his right. He might have been under a bit of pressure, but wasn't able to plant his foot before throwing across his body into the end zone and just wasn't able to lead his man where he was going. Easy undercut by the defensive back taking that one away. Um, But what I did really like about Hillock's performance on the day is obviously we talked about Edwards being, you know, the most outstanding offensive player and rightfully so. But when you look at how Hillock was able to spread the ball around, you know, you have his his. His go-to, Savon Magne-Jones, four receptions, 45 yards. But then Ellerman, three receptions, 44 yards. Griffin Campbell, three receptions, 43 yards. Keon with a touch out of the backfield. Antonio Vilvano, who, you know, I love repping his Italian colors coming out the back of his helmet, you know. Um, and then and Nixon with two receptions as well, which I have to just imagine, whereas a defensive coordinator, when you're going up against a team where you know, like, first and foremost, this team wants to run. They're going to pound it up the middle. Rookie quarterback. And yeah, he throws two picks, but then 
he's also just spreading the ball out. I just thought that must be so difficult as a defensive coordinator when it's like, yeah, you know they want to run the ball, but when he is passing it, it's hard to really key in on one guy in particular. Um, I'll sort of leave it at there, pass it to you, talk about the performance of what you thought of Hillock, what you thought about what I said, and then maybe talk about the performance of Keenan on the day as well. No, it's been kind of the theme for him going through the year. I mean, just really kind of, I guess you would call it, a really sound performance and you kind of know um, watching him through the games the rest of the year. I mean, even the first time they they played it, he played, sorry, against Laurier um, and kind of just very disciplined in terms of going through his reads, you know, making some, a lot of the right decisions, um, you know, going through his progressions, you can kind of see that he kind of has a good time and feel for the offense. Um, Obviously that being said, those two put picks, I mean, you know, situations where you get in the score zone, you're hovering on that 20, 30 yard line, and you know, you're one play away from getting in the end zone, you're in the eighth cup, you know, we're going to put the game out of reach. I guess I think it's just, you know, maybe you wanted to make the big play a little too bad there. But I mean, aside from that, I mean, six incompletions, those were two of those uh, really just exactly the kind of, maybe not exactly the kind of game you needed, but, you know, this is kind of what we've grown to expect from him. It's just, you know, solid play all around. And, and really, I think as a first year kid to be kind of maneuvering through the offense, how he is, uh, it's, a uh, it's really impressive. And so now moving over to James Keenan, kind of alluded to this in, in, in talking about the, the depth or lack thereof for, uh, Queens at the receiver position, you know, I, I've kind of, I don't know if T's, Tease is the right word, but I definitely make mention uh, fairly often of, of James's sometimes reckless uh, running style, and it did lead to one forced fumble or one fumble on the game. I forget if they ended up recovering it or if it was one that Western got. It you know maybe I maybe this makes me a bit of a hypocrite um, in saying this. I'm sure it won't be the first time I've sounded like a hypocrite on our show, but you know it, in a game like this though. When you see him, you know, putting his shoulder down, trying to get those extra yards, and you know, maybe the, you still, at the end of the day, do say like, "Hey, you know what? Like, oh, just one bad hit, and you might be out of the game, and then you've really cost your team." But just in the circumstances of this being the championship game, I, it, it, I perceived it a little more through the lens of like, "Hey, you know what? It's their backs against the wall, and he's really giving it everything to just." get every yard he can and it's hard to not you know tip your cap and applaud him in his effort on the day when he was running the ball but I'll I'll pass it to you for what you saw with him as far as his performance and as well you know like we saw a lot of a lot of drop passes by the Queens receiving core I don't know the total number but missing a few key players out there for him what would you think about Queens's passing attack uh, it was it was it was rough. I mean, they struggled, um, you know, for I could tell you from experience, you know, as a quarterback, not having, you know, a couple of your starters there uh, makes a tremendous difference. Obviously, Richard Byrne being the most notable, um, really their best receiver in the group, I think, by far and kind of the most experienced guy there. Um, not having him for like a game of this magnitude, obviously, is a big Big downgrade there. Um, another guy, they lose um, Ben Langua early in the game. So you look at kind of who's left. It's Ajay Chol. You know, it's Falcone. It's Josh McLeod. I mean, these are 
young you know essentially first time guys playing playing in this big game and it's they're not playing you know against uh uh gym class harry or whatever you know what i mean these this this is uh (laughs) these are the western mustangs you know i mean this is the best that the oua has to offer and i think you know you could kind of see really the gap in in sort of the experience there between those two groups and kind of you know, you look at Keenan, it just felt like at times he's just standing back there and he, you know, he had time, you know, you got to give credit to the O-line, but he just, obviously, I don't see the all all 24 film there, but I can only imagine sort of what's going on down the field. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, probably not much. And even when there was a mm, couple tough drops, you know, but that's to say these are young kids, you know what I mean, as much as you know, you want to say they got to play better or you want to be hard on them. I mean, it's just the reality of the situation is you're kind of going in um, a little underhanded there. Uh, you know, they'll get better. They'll improve. I think in general, this is a great experience for sort of this young Queens team. I think the stat was they mentioned on the broadcast that going into this year, uh, 70% of the team hadn't played OUA action yet. That's a pretty ridiculous number to considering where they've uh, come this season, and I mean, it's pretty clear when you go down the roster, um, it's a lot of one and twos in terms of eligibility. So, um, yeah, it's always going to be tough for them. But, you know, looking on the bright side, it definitely is a good good experience for them to get this under their belts. No, definitely. And, and you know what? Like, there's obviously been a lot of conversation this year about Queens's seemingly – not out of nowhere, but their insurgence from a team that didn't make the playoffs in 2019, but showed some promise to all of a sudden going undefeated in the regular season, running the table, leading up to the Yates Cup, and and uh, you know taking a loss in a game that, like I said, probably a bit more competitive than the score might indicate, even though I will not take away from Western. Western was undoubtedly the better team on the day. But in, in sort of filling that gap, and of course we lose the 2020 season, this year for Queens, you know, because obviously they had a few games where they rolled teams, and and those games included Carlton team that had lost their starting quarterback and perhaps lost a bit of their, you know, whatever mojo they might have had for the year by that point. I mean, the second half of the season for Carlton, I, you know, a bit of a rough go for them. Um, shouldn't you be talking about Carlton? We're talking about the Eights Cup here. Um, uh, but you know it seems like that in the progression of a team from like building and you look at what Snyder's done in developing this program in a more regular year or perhaps it, you know, a lot of the things that we saw as far as building and and gaining confidence, a lot of these things we might've seen in 2020, getting the experience of some of these young guys. And obviously I'm sure some of these guys made, you know, the whole COVID rookie first year, second year eligibility, first year playing all that stuff with having missed the year. I guess what I'm getting at and all that is that, you know, looking at where Queens is at right now and you know I'm sure at some point in the near future once everything's said and done and the dust is settled we can kind of perhaps more take a little more time to look at sort of the state of each of these teams as far as where what direction it looks like they're going in based on eligibility and just who we're expecting to see back who we're seeing to move on to uh you know whether they're graduating or moving on to the CFL um or anything like that but it you know they're still in a, a very good position of of not just being a, a team that was clearly in a win now mode. I mean the 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 proof the proof's in the pudding when you look at what they did this year, but in still building and gaining all that experience and um, it, like it's 
we kind of talked about like and and a, a point that I didn't come across or I didn't think of prior to our, our preview episode talking about experience in the playoffs. We going back to that first weekend of OUA playoffs, there was one quarterback that in the playoffs that had played in a playoff game before. That was Trey Ford. Every other quarterback that was playing that weekend had never played. So like once again, kind of talking about a lot of new faces and a lot of in not necessarily new places, but just gaining this experience. So for Queens, they obviously showed that they could compete with uh, a lot of teams uh, this year. And once again, this game, I don't think they were completely outmatched per se, but uh, you know, definitely a lot of promise for them in this one. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think sort of, it's funny that I feel like this, this is kind of the thing that we said about them all year was really kind of borne out here. And this is, you know, what's going to happen when they fall behind in the big game, um, you know, and it was, seven nothing and it was 14 nothing in the blink of an eye um and you know at that point they actually put a drive together to sort of drive deep into western territory to answer um and then you know obviously sort of their second fumble of the game at that point um came to pass and you know from there it really it was like kind of like as you mentioned like the guelph game the previous week i mean it just the Gales got in striking distance a few times, but just that Western defense, golly, you know, came and answered every single time. Um, you know, I think this had the potential to be a closer game, but it just, yeah, whenever it was time to buckle down that Western defense, uh, really there was nothing doing, nothing doing for Queens. Well, let's talk a little bit about defense because I, what I found interesting watching the way that it seemed like both of these defenses were attacking the opposing offense was it, it didn't seem like either of them were really looking to pressure to bring all that much pressure at least early on maybe later it seemed like queens was trying to in the second half come out with, with a few more blitzes or, or delay a little more pressure but you know we obviously talked about it and we have alluded to it two first time uh yates cup first time playoff quarterbacks in keenan and in hillock and of course for both these teams we know that their bread is buttered in the run game and it felt like for a lot of that first half, both these teams were saying, let's just drop back in zone, not sort of give, you know, either quarterback anything downfield, and, you know, we'll just rally to the ball. And I part of me thought that was a little odd because that seemed like and and nothing not to take away anything from Hillock or from Keenan, but that approach seemed to be what you might do to a quarterback that you are you know, going into a game worried that like, you know what, this guy might hurt us going deep. This guy might be able to to kill us on some long balls. I, and once again, I haven't been able to really break down the full tape. And I don't think I really will take the time to do so. Uh, you know, apologies to our, our faithful listeners. But just from watching the game as it, as it played out, that was the impression I got early on where both teams said like, let's just sit back and, you know, it felt like they were feeding into letting the other teams run the ball. Like, how did you sort of perceive that when neither team was, as we said, that, that maybe you might have success putting a James Keenan, putting Evan Hillock under pressure and see if they can make mistakes. And as we said, those picks by Hillock, you know, maybe under pressure on the one, uh, the other one, maybe a mix. It wasn't as if he was being just, uh, just attacked left, right and center and forced to make uh, a bad play. It was a little bit more of, like I said, it might've been a mix up on the one and the second one just didn't get a chance to plant his foot throw across his body. What did you think about the way the defenses were playing these teams, given that these were first time quarterbacks and, and given that, you know, they're, they're feel they're at the helm of teams where their go-to offense comes from the run game. 
Yeah, I think there's sort of two schools of thought on this. I think one would be, you know, yours and kind of, well, I mean, you're kind of giving these guys a break, you know, by by just playing kind of sitting back in coverage or whatever. Um, but I think, you know, I know uh, in terms of um, the Western philosophy and kind of what, you know, we're told by coaches as players going up against it is, is, you know, they're going to sit, they're waiting for you to make a mistake. I mean, if you have, you know, James Keenan out there who has made his fair share of big plays on the year um, you saw in sort of the Ottawa game, it was close until they made kind of some of those big explosive plays to McLeod there. Uh, So for them, I'm sure it was a case of, you know, listen, we're going to sit back and cover three and we're going to make James Keenan complete the ball, you know, 10 times, or, you know, Heaven Hillock's going to have to complete the ball 10 times to get in the end zone. Right. And you know what? I think that's a reasonable strategy. I don't think we've seen sort of this Queens offense really put together drives like that very often. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with, obviously they have a tremendous running game, but, you know, at the same time, I, I think, it, it would be kind of a foolish endeavor to kind of go into this thinking you would just be able to run up and down the field against Western. So um, again, it was always going to be tough with the whole uh, young receiver thing stacked against them. But I think, you know, if I was Western, I, you know, we're going to take away the run game and you know what, let's see, let's see if you can string together a drive of five, six, seven completions against us because it's an experience as a secondary as well. It's, you know, a difficult situation. Yeah, and you know what, maybe that goes back to ultimately from what we saw and and maybe Western picked up on the fact that West that Queens is receiving core a little banged up. Um and as as a result, we saw, you know, some some drop some some very catchable balls dropped that, you know, could have been those six to eight yard reception, just moving the chains, moving the chains. As you, you alluded to that one drive they had late in the first quarter where it ended unfortunately with the fumble for Queens, where like that was the most Queens Gales football drive in that game, I think we'd seen the, you know, cause as you said, like Keenan's shown the ability to hit those explosive plays, but you know, it, it, it seems like on the whole, it is more of that, you know, like we said, of course, coming from the, 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 the Greg Marshall coaching tree of, you know, we're going to run the ball, but then we'll play action a little bit. Um, and as we saw from what Hillock was able to do, spread the ball around, it didn't really do any deep hitters themselves on the game, but that, that, that could have been the difference in there that like with a more healthy, or one of the, one of the differences that with a healthy receiving core, maybe some of those drops and become receptions, just move the chains, move the chains, get that momentum, start to wear down that defense, keep them on the field a little longer. Cause I mean, I'm going to try and pull it up quickly right now. Um, it, you know, it, as we kind of joked about and in, in trying to look at top performers on the day for um for 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 western as far as the defense goes i mean obviously they pitched the shutout but you know it, it wasn't as if they were um you know there weren't necessarily a, a lot of plays for them to have to to be able to ball out i'm just trying to pull up the time of possession here right now um i believe western was 33 queens was 24 yeah so i'm, uh, I'm seeing th- i'm seeing 36 to 23 actually Okay, I'm on so, U Sports website, so oh, okay. uh, you know, I guess you're on the OUA then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyhow, um, and anything else stand out to you on on this one as far as what you saw this the coverage of the game? I mean, you know, it's always nice when you know CHCH um, or really any of the sort of uh, major larger uh, media companies are able to to do to do their share in covering the game, or, or just anything that stood out to you in watching this uh, 113th Yates Cup battle. No, I think, you know, 
and kind of seeing the broadcast over the years, you know, a big fan of sort of Mark Lee and, you know, Justin Dunk. And obviously we saw Donovan Bennett, you know, who does a great job as well. I think, you know, kind of sort of the coverage and production value this game deserves, not to say that the individual teams don't themselves don't do a good job, but sort of, you know, I obviously we all prefer sort of the full TV crew, multiple cameras, crowd shots, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you want to say. And it's really good. Um, and I think sort of a common misconception, I think with Canadian football, it's, oh, there's no parody. Oh, the games all suck. You know what I mean? And I think uh, if you go down and, you know, watch some of the college football playoffs down the NCAA over the years, uh, how many of those games are blowouts in themselves? You know what I mean? So as much as you want to make that comparison, I don't think it's a fair one. I think, um, you know, obviously I'm biased. I have some stakes in the game, um, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Even given, you know, obviously it wasn't the happiest day for me and the Queen supporters, but, uh, you know, is a Saturday night in Vienna well spent, Zach? Well spent. <laughs> Well, I'm I, I'm happy. You're, you know, you're holding it together uh, very well. I'm happy for you know. I'm happy for you and your Queen supporters. You know, it was a great year on the whole. But nonetheless, we say see you next year to the Queens Gales. We say see you next week to the Western Mustangs, who will be hosting the Mitchell Bowl, where the uh, where Saint Effects will be rolling into London. And uh, you know the the history of OUA teams versus. AUS teams, or frankly, most AUS teams versus other conferences uh, in these, you know, national semifinal games don't usually fare well for yeah. the and, East and team. Y- you know, we Home can more the, la- the the last three results that I have here in front of me are Montreal thirty eight, Acadia nothing, Laval sixty three, Saint FX zero, uh, and of course, you know. The uh, Western 81 Acadia 3 game from 2017. Uh, It's been an uphill battle, let's say, for uh, the AUS clubs. Well, uh, you know, it'll uh, hopefully as a result, it'll be a fun night in London next Saturday. Um, So, you know, good luck to the Western Mustangs moving forward. On the other side of the bracket in the UTEC, I believe it's it's going to be is it Montreal hosting? I forget. Do we, was it Montreal hosting or is it them on the road? It's, it's them in Saskatchewan, I believe. Correct. It is, is Montreal saw? hosting. Montreal, yes. Montreal and Sask, and uh, you know we'll keep our eyes on that. Obviously, we keep our fingers on the pulse of the action in the OUA. But you know, uh, I for now let's let's just put that aside for right now, because um, as we mentioned in the lead up. In this week leading up to the Yates Cup, we saw a lot of the well, we saw all the awards come out um, as far as all rookies, all stars, and then the the sort of the the award winners across the OUA. Starting with the all stars, uh, we're not going to go through the whole list. You can find it on the OUA website. A, l- a lot of social media platforms have the you know most of the teams have posted who from their squads have won awards. Um, you know, without really digging into it too, too deep, I there's no seemingly no no apparent snubs. I mean, we talked about maybe uh, some someone on a first team switching with a guy on a second team, uh, things of that nature. But I I, I think uh, and I think the the selection committee, which I believe is, is a number of coaches, I, I think it's a pretty good list they put together here. I don't think really any qualms there. 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I know uh, coming from sort of uh, my sphere of influence, let's say, uh, maybe maybe a bit of sour taste over the fact that I think it was, you know, I think only four Gales or something like that in the All-Star teams um, and Western had 12. But uh, after watching the game, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, it's not the worst result in the world. Um, but I think, you know, maybe you can make an argument for one or two guys on Queens. I think some people would argue that. I'm not <laughs> saying me in particular, but I people think, are know, saying people are saying, yeah, this, but, uh, you know, a guy like Nolan Bedard, for example, and kind of the game he had uh, against Western and sort of the season he's had in general, I think is maybe someone that deserves some recognition. So, but all in all to say, I, I can't call it Zach. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, no, I, you make a fair case in that. Um, you know, the only thing I think there might have been a typo when they have Chris McLean uh, listed as punter. Um, I, I thought they could have made a case for him as running back for uh, UFT because I'm pretty sure he led their squad in rushing yards. But uh, no, obviously, uh, if you remember watching the Blues this year, uh, he was want to take it himself and pick up a number of first downs and and uh, you know a number of yards in the process. So uh, I mean. I'll, sp- I'll speak for myself. I'm I'm not one to be able to accurately uh, judge the performance of of punters and kickers. But uh, like I said, on the whole, yeah, you can make a little, a few changes here and there. But overall, some pretty good representation of uh, some of the top performers. And as we kind of said, like especially on the offensive side of the ball, you know, it was you know, it was it was a rough year for offenses around the OUA. Yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers. Sure, we have, you know. Queens running back doing well and Western running game doing well. But aside from that, in terms of kind of, you know, you just look at the U sports stat page. I mean, I can tell you from watching the games, but I mean, if you just, if you're, a, you know, just a, a casual fan, you know, you take a look at sort of the stats and, you know, I think there wasn't you know, the highest OUA quarterback was at 240 yards per game. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, just not a great year for offense. I don't know if you want to call COVID. I mean, and these are per-game stats for the most part, so it's not like, oh, we only had played six games. That is accounted for, at least in the yards category there. Um, so I think, and we kind of alluded to it um, with your comment about the playoffs, Zach, because I think it's really been sort of a bit of a transition year, a bit of changing of the guard in terms of, you know, the players coming and going in the league. And I think – you know, losing Trey Ford, uh, that'll only continue going forward. So it'll be interesting to see kind of who's up next uh, in the OUA and kind of getting the offense back on track going forward. No, most definitely. And and sort of on that point, I think going into this year, one of my biggest concerns is that, you know, you can make a list of, you know, 10 notable names that um, are probably going to be playing their last year this year. And once again, we'll do a full kind of like look back on the year and looking forward sometime and probably when all the dust settled uh, with the Vanny and all that. And there was part of me that was like, oh, shoot, like some of the individuals and, you know, it's a team sport and yada, yada, yada. But we do know some of these positions are, you know, you know, weighted a little stronger than others. Um, that uh, there was part of me that was like, oh, my gosh, like we've had such great parody, you know, uh, at least as far as like maybe the middle class of the OUA this seems to always be a top dog and usually seems to be the Western Mustangs, but you know what, there's not much we can do about that. Um, but you know, some of the names that have really made the OUA special for the last handful of years, you know, graduating out or, or getting their shot on CFL teams. And, you know, 
especially with COVID, like, are we going to have that crop of new faces to really, you know, fill in the void? And yeah, maybe those numbers are account of the, the, the COVID year, or maybe it is part of the transition of seeing some of these new players. So on the whole, like, I think this year was just so great to get it in the books. And I think there are a lot of names that I'm really excited to watch continue on their journey that will, whether they can live up to the legacy of some of these guys that we're going to see, you know, leaving the OUA. Um, I'm, I'm willing to bet they'll certainly come close. And I'm sure some of them will perhaps be the, 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 the new, we'll set the new bar that we will look at future generations of saying, oh my gosh, like when that player is gone, who's going to be the next guy? And you know what? I guess that's all we can hope for is that, Every couple of years, that just kind of gets reset and reset, and uh, you know the, the product just gets better and better. And I, I think when you look at a lot of the amateur football and grassroots programs around uh, the province and around the country, I mean, the, the infrastructure is is seemingly there to help that develop further and further. No, and I feel like every year you kind of see more more and more guys going down south as well. So definitely, sort of, yeah. Well, you know, before we get into the the, the award winners, um, you know. Seemingly, same thing with the all rookie team. Um, you know, a couple names here that we definitely like that had big impacts. I mean, it, you know, it's it's one it's one representative per team. So I mean, Devin Cromwell for Guelph, he had a huge year for them uh, on defense. Jackson Cooling for McMaster. I, was it the was it the Guelph game where he had the the massive punt return touchdown? I mean, great great year at receiver, but a great returner as well. Rodney Estime, where like I remember when we were doing some of our midseason predictions, we were like digging through like, is this guy actually a rookie? Because he's been so outstanding for them. We didn't want to look like fools uh, throwing out that name. Um, you know, James Hinsberger for Waterloo. I mean, that last name alone is, is going to get people's attention. Lineback- you know, Hinsberger, linebacker, Waterloo, say no more. Uh, Evan Hillock, obviously. Um, and-, and Dawson Hodge, uh, we saw kicking for Laurier this year. Um you know the one name that obviously, as we said, as I set up, it's it's one per team. York um, voted in um, Jason Hanvier uh, Messier, uh, defensive end, who, um, as they say here, he finished off with two solos, four assisted tackles, and one sack on the year for them. I, I have to say, and, and you know, so, uh, as far as the positive things we said about York this year, they did have a, a pretty solid defensive line unit there. But um, you know, Avante McCoy, uh, especially late in the season, it really seemed like he came on strong for them. Um, you know, we, I got a chance to interview him uh, almost two years ago, so like I'll say I'm a little biased in that he's a Toronto kid. You know, West part of Toronto, kind of more Tobacco. I think he's a former Tobacco Eagle. But I, I thought he did really come on strong late in the year. It would have been nice to get see him get some recognition. But other than that, I mean, like I said, a lot of these names we're seeing on this list um, are guys that had big impacts. Kind of going back to that point that like these are now guys having to fill the shoes of of players that we've seen in the past leave. Uh, anything stand out to you when you when you you know go through some of the all rookies this year? Well, Zach, you gave him your, his recognition right there, so I'm sure he <laughs> uh, he's going to appreciate that. But uh, no, I think I. I mean, again, you see like a guy like Evan Hillock be able to step step in and lead right away from like, you know, a first year kid that's I, I you know, can't remember the last time I've really seen that happen. So, uh, you know, as kind of like you said, these programs get better and better. I think the kids will be more and more ready to step in and, and provide an impact. Most definitely. So, so let's move over now to the uh, awards side. 
I'll I'll start with the on the defensive side of the ball, and I like how they played this one out because there was seemingly three names that we were tossing around all year, kind of vying for the uh, the President's Award of Outstanding uh, Defensive Player of the Year between say AJ Allen, Deontay Knight, Anthony Federico is just you know regardless of position, those three guys seemingly were the most impactful players on the field. Uh, now, obviously, Federico get, gets left out of the equation here, but I don't think anyone can complain the way they end up sorting sorting it out. Uh, A.J. Allen, linebacker for Guelph, takes home the President's, uh, President's Award, outstanding stand-up defensive player. And then Deontay Knight with the J.P. Metris, the lineman of the year. So I, I think that was a good way of being able to recognize both those guys who, you know, like I said, Federico, a very strong year as well. Um, a guy who's just been a terror for quarterbacks uh, throughout his career. But, you know, really, you, you know, the best they could do, in, 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 unless they were going to give one of those guys MVP, which I don't think any of them were going to come close in that regard. You know, if you can only pick two out of the three, I think they did a good job of, of dividing that um, as far as those guys go. Um, rookie of the year, the Norm Marshall Award, we already mentioned it. We told you weeks ago, not that it's really much clairvoyance on our point to be able to say that Evan Hillock was going to win that award, but it's in ink. It's on the website. It's there forever. Uh, it is uh, you know, outstanding year by Hillock, capped off with a Yates Cup trophy and perhaps more. Uh, we'll see as his journey with the Western Mustangs continues into the national semifinals and perhaps a Vanier. Dave Tuffy Knight Award, Coach of the Year, Steve Snyder, um, undefeated season for them. I, you know, do you think like, and you were kind of alluding to seeing some of the conversation throughout the Yates cup and after the game on social media of people, maybe this is the time to get into it. Of people kind of saying that this game kind of exposed, you know, the East conference. I mean, you know, it's, we've talked about it all year before the season that clearly there were the better teams in the league were on the West side of the, of the OUA. Um, but like I don't think anyone can really take away this from Snyder. I mean, f- yeah, fair, still fairly young team, undefeated. They go to Yates Cup, they fall short. But like I, no, there's no, there's no question, there's no question about it. In, in my mind, I think, you know, among among the awards, maybe this is the least controversial. Um, I think. Obviously, there's some some discussions after the game on the weekend about uh, you know, oh well, the division what a joke, uh, you know, Guelph. The finals was basically last weekend, and people seem to forget. Well, Queens beat Guelph in the regular season, so I mean, sure, yeah, they had a few easier games, but I mean, they you can't tell me that someone else is more qualified than this team. You can't tell me as Guelph. You know, I mean, they lost the Queens. They obviously lost to Western again. Um, you can't tell me it's Waterloo, who got rolled even worse than Queens at home and then proceeded to lose a second time against Western. Uh, so I just I don't know who the argument would be of sort of who would be more qualified for that. It's not those teams. It's definitely not Laurier. Um, you know, Mac didn't make the playoffs. So I think that's a, a very simplistic way to view things. And I think it's you know, sort of a reactionary take from some people that maybe weren't following the game as closely as uh, as we were, Zach, or, or you know, I'll speak for myself. I won't throw you in there, uh, you know, creating any controversy, but I think, uh, uh, no, I, I, I would strongly disagree with anyone making those takes that uh, Queens was not qualified uh, to be in the AIDS Cup this year. 
Oh no, I yeah, I, I'm 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 in complete lockstep with you on that one. Um, you know, we won't go through every single one. I I do have to acknowledge volunteer coach of the year going to Michael McDonald, the offensive line coach, my former offensive line coach as well at Guelph. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly, you know, we're not obviously going to debate the merits of, you know, who else is viable for that. Obviously, just for all the volunteer coaches out there. Um, and, you know, I guess we could consider ourselves volunteer media members because, uh, you know, in case there's any uh, in case there's any question about it. And no one pays us to do what we do as well. But, you know, just for all the volunteer coaches. But Michael Mc, Coach McDonald, um, having been in that program now for, I guess, about... Wow, I guess he's in his probably in about his tenth year there now, and uh, you know, however they decide that, um, certainly a man who has put in his fair share of work with that program. He's been in a lot of Yates Cups for them, with them, won that Yates with us in 2015, and uh, man, when I saw that name pop up um, along with his that photo of him on the sideline coaching, it uh, you know. I felt like the Grinch. My heart grew five sizes bigger, or whatever the however the stories go. So shout out to him. Um, the uh, you know the Russ Jackson Award um, this year given out to Francis Perron. Um, you know, obviously, if if you don't remember, Francis is the member of the Ottawa GGs who tragically passed away following their game against U of T. Um, and I believe the Russ Jackson kind of goes to the player that sort of exemplifies what the you know what you would want of a player sort of off the field and in, in, in serving their community and being a leader and all that and by all accounts and, and, and academic performance and by all accounts because you know a lot of the stories of what made Francis such you know the the his performance on the field's apparent but you know it's 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 unfortunate that it, it's in times like this that we that we get to hear all these great stories of players for what they do in their communities, what they do as a, as a student, what they do as a leader. Um, you know, we always talk about these players as athletes, obviously, because that's you know where what we cover. But um, clearly, all these stories about what he was doing to serve his community, to be a leader on that team, came out following that, and um, obviously, great to give him the recognition uh, nonetheless. But Clearly, when you would hear those things about what a great student he was and member of the Gigi's team in Ottawa community, um, absolutely great to see him recognized there. Um, but we'll, we'll get to the MVP because this is the one that obviously is is the big one here and one that we talked about a lot this year. Trey Ford, quarterback, Waterloo Warriors, number five. You know the name. You know the number. You know the team. It's his second MVP award, I believe. His last one was 2018. And you look at the numbers, it's, you know, perhaps a, a, a bit of a down year from what we saw from him in 2019 and perhaps even in 2018. As you mentioned, a bit of a down year across the board. You and I were quite bullish that when you look at not only the individual's performance, but the team performance as well, Keon Edwards and Rashid Tucker were perhaps more deserving of that award than Ford. Um Another 500 season for him on the year, and a first round exit again for the Waterloo Warriors. Of course, you know, playoff success or lack thereof shouldn't actually factor into most valuable player as it's a regular season award. But I guess, what are your thoughts on on him winning that award? And then, secondly, 
what do you think this means as far as looking forward to the heck Creighton? Because there's another player out west who whose team didn't have necessarily as much success as people perhaps expected. But if we're now kind of saying that the sort of top player award is more just in recognition of the performance itself outside of team success, you know, how do you think that that might factor in in Trey's candidacy for a heck Crichton compared to a certain quarterback out west? Yeah, I think it's it's funny how you know we were talking about um, in the past couple of weeks um, about sort of this race between Edwards and Tucker and sort of I you know I say maybe we maybe we forgot about Trey Ford a little bit. I know uh, I remember a few weeks ago I think it was Adam McGuire. Uh, I hope that's his name. Uh, the Waterloo play by play guy made the case for him, and it's a strong case. I think. In general, I think we're all very used to sort of this award being given to someone who uh, essentially was on the best team in the league that year. Um, obviously, Trey has already um, sort of, I guess, dispelled that myth a little bit in 2018 um, when he won it sort of his first time. Granted, True. his his numbers were much, much better that year. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, the 2018 numbers, 350 per game passing, 27 passing touchdowns. That's absurd. Um, so comparing that with this year, definitely a bit more of a down year. I mean, I guess some better rushing stats this year. Um, so, you know, when I first saw it, I thought maybe, you know, I guess it is kind of like a little, a little bit, a little bit of a legacy award. You know what I mean? I think uh, you're definitely going to be remiss to find anyone arguing too much that he's not the most talented or, or best player in the conference. I think that's, you know, very difficult to argue. Um, so I guess, you know, came off a little bit for me as a bit of a legacy word. But in terms of that, I think it's well-deserved. And I think this is a guy who, for the career he's had, deserves a shot at the heck Creighton. Um, and sort of getting into who he's facing, you know, um, a couple quarterbacks, uh, one from Quebec, uh, the Concordia guy, Olivier Waugh. Uh, you know, you got the guy from St. FX, uh, quarterback who's done really well, but I think well, his, his biggest competition in my mind would be would be uh, I believe it's Jalen Philpot. I hope I'm not mixing up the brothers, but sort of uh, the numbers he's put up and sort of <laughs> just from the highlights I've seen on Instagram uh, over the season from him, uh, just remarkable stuff. Um, but I think you know, all in all, the Calgary Dinos did not make the playoffs. Waterloo did make the playoffs, and I think sort of given. The career that Trey's had, I th- I feel like it it would be uh, it would be a mistake not to give it to him here. So, uh, you know, if you if you want to go to your sports book and see what the odds are for Trey Ford on the on the heck Creighton there, I would I would advise putting a little a little cash on that because I think, uh, you know, for me, I would be shocked if he didn't win it at this point. What do you think? No, I think you laid it out um, all like very accurately there, and it's it's hard to like just not be blown away by the fact that you know. We, you know, you look at the passing numbers and they don't necessarily blow you away um, as they have in previous years. And of course, losing Tyler Ternowski, um is a big part of that. Um, we obviously saw Basiliga really step up for them. Gordon Lamb, bit of a slow start to the season, but he came along late, earning himself another first team um, OUA All-Star award. Um, Basiliga making it onto the second team. Um, perhaps one of those examples where arguably those guys could have flipped, depending on sort of y- your your preference on on how they played this year. But I don't think both. I don't think 
them making the team is really up for debate. I think they had great years. But then when you look at the rushing yards, um, and you look at it at U Sports, fourth leading rusher as far as yards per game with 104 uh, rushes or yards per game rushing. And, you know, that offense, they lost Ternowski, who was, you know, one of the best receivers in U Sports during his tenure, uh, you know, running with Trey. Um, but also Dion Pellerin was an incredible running back for them as well, who moved on to the CFL as well. And uh, not that Trey wasn't uh, one to make plays with his feet while Dion was still there, but, you know, having to carry that load a little bit more. Um, you know, Brandon Metz had a solid year for them. Uh, as I've said before, I really like their offensive line and uh, the offensive and their line garnered a couple all-star nods as well. Uh, Greg Brand, a guy I'm, I was really high on their center. He made second team um, all-star, I think a couple other guys. But, um, you know, on the whole, as we said, you know, what Keon and uh, Rashid did respectively, you know, w- was so outstanding. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you can like you can kind of poke the hole in both performances, you know, if you really want to you know, go there. And I, I guess I only say it to acknowledge it as, as you know, as something that someone could say. I don't really fully believe it, which is that, well, on the Queen side of things, well, you know, how was the competition they were going up against week in, week out? Don't forget, obviously, we saw Rashid do this in 2019 as well. He missed some time, but when he was healthy, he was putting up big numbers, playing a more balanced schedule. And then for Keon, well, you see what Trey Humes does for them when he gets touches. You see what... uh, um, uh, uh, Winati. Winati, yes, Edward Winati uh, does when he gets touches as well. And so is it just a factor of... Well, gosh, we see this year in, year out that whomever Western puts it running back is going to get big yards, big touches and stuff like that. So, you know, the same way that maybe you can kind of poke holes in the Trey Ford year by looking at how the team fared uh, on the whole. You know, if you want, you can do something similar with the two running backs that we were very high on throughout the year. At the end of the day, um, you know, just three outstanding players in the league and, um you know, it's unfortunate that uh, Trey was never able to get the to have his team get to a point of competing for Yates Cups and and more than that. But just as a singular talent, he's one of the most outstanding players we've seen in a long time. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lose sleep, I, and I haven't since uh, seeing him win that award. Um, he's uh you know he he will be missed in the OUA and what uh, I'm sure what he's done to inspire. Uh, a lot of you know young quarterbacks out there, um, and um, to try and make their impact known and and be able to, you know, as we said, he set the bar. And who's going to be that next young player to say, "Ooh, I remember watching Trey Ford do his thing in Waterloo. I want to take it that next step higher, right?" Um, and we'll see where he can take his career um, as far as in the CFL and beyond. So. You know, no doubt winning a heck will, will only uh, obviously add to the resume and uh, the legacy of Trey Ford. So, you oh, know what? And, uh, yeah. and you know what? If you're if you're Rashid and you're Keon, I uh, I can assure you, or I can't assure you, but I my my best estimations uh, can guess that Trey would gladly have traded a trip to the Yates Cup and sort of that opportunity um, for for an OUA MVP any day of the week. So, uh, you know. Don't uh, don't don't feel too bad, guys. I think that is uh yeah I I think that is is absolutely true and I think that is a great place 
to wrap this one up on, uh, unless Nate, is there anything else we're missing on this one? We we know we have Western Saint Effects, we got Montreal and Sask. Two of those teams will advance into the Vanier Cup, and hey, well that'll the COVID year will have we'll have we'll be able to crown a Vanier champ, and uh, you know as we've kind of said along the way, it's just it's just. It's outstanding that we've been able to get this far. Anything else we've missed that we should be hitting on before we we say goodbye? You know, I think we've done a a good job. I think I think I'm ready, Zach. Ready, I'm ready. Ready for ready for a, a long needed rest. So as we've done in years past, we'll probably have some some coverage coming out with these national semifinals and the Vanier kind of just keeping our keeping our flame burning keeping the brand uh motoring along uh, but other than that we'll have some kind of a, a wrap-up of the year and a look forward to what we might have in store for you or what we will have in store for you in the new year in the off season throughout the summer um the powers that be will get together and we'll see sort of what direction what kind of content we want to bring you of course you know, if you if you listen to the pod, if you follow us on social, if you follow any of the content we put out, if there's anything you think that you know we could have been hitting on that we weren't, or anything that you thought we are, you know, sort of able to be covering or anything on that lines, hit us up. Let us know what you thought. We're always open to suggestions um, to to grow to grow the uh, grow the podcast, grow the brand, and uh, just bring you. Uh, that much better content covering the OUA and and yeah so it's been a blast Nate it's been a pleasure uh, potting with you this season uh, I know we'll have some more coming up in the, in the near future but uh, until then we'll see you next time at the 55.